Now, can you turn with me to Philippians in chapter 1? Philippians in chapter 1. Let's pray before we read in a few moments. Father, we come to your word again. Help us never to get used to reading your words, used to hearing your words, that we would take it for granted. We just thank you for the privilege of having your words, your precious word before us. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that they tell us about Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, um, number 1, is, or Philippians as a whole, it's chock full of glory. I wondered whether you've ever paused to consider the great themes that Paul covers in this little letter to the Philippian church. There is the sovereignty of God. He can't get six verses into the letter without mentioning the sovereignty of God. Um, in my Bible here, in the introduction, it tells us about Paul's affection for the readers. Um, it's a key characteristic. The epistle simply attests to the special bond of love that Paul had for the Philippians. It's full of joy. We'll come back to that as well repeatedly. It's full of joy. Um, interestingly, it's about the triune God. Paul uses the word God to refer to the Father in chapters 1, verse 2, 2, verse 11, 4, 20. But Paul's designation for Christ is the Lord. 1, verse 2, 2, 11, 19, 3, verse 8, 20, and 4, 23. So on one hand, Paul is affirming the Father and the Son are identical in being. They are divine, and worship is due to Father and Son. And in calling Jesus Christ the Lord, Paul is identifying him with Yahweh, the Lord God, the God of Israel. But by calling God the Father God and God the Son the Lord, Paul again is showing a distinction of persons within the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is united with God the Father in chapter 3 and with Jesus in chapter 1, verse 19. So Paul's theology is Trinitarian. The Trinity, he's full of Trinity. And then there is the humility and the humiliation of Jesus Christ in the great Christ hymn. It's Philippians 2, 9 to 11. And then there's Paul's meditation on the believer's union with Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3, 8 and 9, he talks about everything being lost, but it does not matter because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 to 4 is an exhortation and a meditation on the communion of the saints. What it means to minister to and to live with one another as the people of God. Christ is all. In one little letter, justification by grace through faith is here. The Christian life. All in three pages, I try to count somehow two and a half, depending whether you've got notes or not. But I settled on counting as many Bibles as I could. I think it's three pages of Philippians. And have you ever, that's one thing, it's chock full of glory. It's chock full of theology. Have you ever paused to think of how many of Paul's memorable sentences come from Philippians? Sentences which we know. 
Even those of us who may not be so great at memorization have had Paul's verses emblazoned on our hearts from this letter. Maybe we've spoken them to our hearts in our darkest hours. Let me just read some of them to you. This is the book where the Apostle Paul says, Philippians 1 verse 6, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is, this is Philippians. We quote it a lot. He who began a work will complete it. This is the book where Paul says in chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. How many times have we heard that? Maybe at funerals, but it's a wonderful statement. And it's the book where Paul says in chapter 1 verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. This is the letter where Paul says in chapter 2 verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's why that verse we quoted a lot. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians. Again, this is the letter where the Apostle Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I go on. This is the book where Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the letter where we find the phrase, Chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is the letter where Paul exhorts you and I in chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the same chapter, Paul writes in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the letter where Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul's, if you like, breaking out in praise. This is the letter where Paul writes in verse 11 of chapter 4, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We quote that a lot. This is the letter where Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many times have we encouraged ourselves with those words? This is the letter where Paul writes in verse 19 of chapter 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Three pages and he says all of that. And that's just scratching the surface. You, don't tell, you tell me you don't believe in the inspiration of Holy Scripture? And I didn't even mention the Christ hymn. So it is chock full of glory and it's full of Paul's verses which many have comforted themselves with. Well, we're reading just the first two verses of chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are, in, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May he write the eternal truth of his words on our hearts. I've been thinking for some time where to go next, um, and especially having a few more weeks than I originally thought, ever since I finished the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, I've been thinking about where to go next. And we looked at the letters to the Thessalonians, which I found very encouraging on Thursday evenings, uh, looking at the rich book of Ephesians on Thursday evenings, working my way through the Old Testament in the morning services, and recently a short three-part sermon on Jude in the afternoons. I've been thinking a lot about Revelation, but just done the seven letters to the churches. But a couple of weeks ago, my heart kept coming back to Philippians. And the longer I dwelt about it, read about it, read it, read some commentaries and prayed about it, was that it's a time that I think that I need, but we need, Philippians. And there are four particular reasons why I felt that. Number one, Philippians shows us a vibrant Christian in difficult circumstances radiating a contagious joy, an infectious joy. Philippians shows us this vibrant Christian on fire, yes in difficult circumstances, but radiating an infectious, a contagious joy. And I know some of the circumstances that we may well be in. So this is a book which I believe we need now. Because where is Paul? Where is Paul? He's in the slammer. He's in prison. He's trapped. And if there was ever a place or a place or a circumstance for this man to be depressed, it would, be, it would be where he couldn't go and tell somebody about Jesus. It would be where he couldn't get out and tell somebody about the gospel. And yet the whole letter radiates with joy. Paul couldn't help but preach the gospel. The most precious news ever, preach the gospel. So the letter radiates with joy. He's in prison, he can't get out to preach the gospel. So what's going on here? Well, Paul understood the secret of joy in every circumstance. So this letter beckons us to join him in the fight for joy. Joyful. Second, why I think it's a good time for Philippians. He, Philippians displays to us a saint on whom the world has lost its grip. The world has nothing to offer Paul. There is nothing that the world could give Paul. He didn't have anything that he wanted. The old way of life, the old righteousness, the old proving himself, the, the old legalism had nothing more to offer him. His old pedigrees had nothing to offer him. The old traditions had nothing to offer him. He had found something better. He had found Christ. And you don't just have to be worldly for the world to have nothing left to, you know, in this sense, for the world to have its grip on you. You can be stuck in your own self-righteousness. You can be stuck in your own ways. You can think you're right and everyone else is wrong. It's got nothing. It's got no life in it. Nothing at all. Paul found something better than the old legalism, the old tradition. He is ablaze with thoughts of Christ. 
He's ablaze with delight in, in Christ. Paul is singing before the words were written, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. I can imagine Paul singing in prison before they were written, Fadling is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Because for Paul, Christ is all. Christ is enough. Is he enough for you? He's above all. He's best. And everything else is lost to Paul because Christ is all. And my, my friends, we need to understand that. So many of our issues are because Christ is not everything to us. And we're tempted to think that deep delight and deep joy and deep satisfaction can be found somewhere in something that I can, that I can achieve. But we need, like Paul, to take joy so we would accept no substitutes. So the Christian life is a fight for joy. It is not the rejection of joy, it is the rejection of cheap joy. It's not the rejection of satisfaction, it is the rejection of superficial satisfaction. It's not the rejection of delight, it is the rejection of shallow delight in pursuit of cheap delight. So the, Paul, the Apostle Paul truly has tasted of the everlasting bottomless fountain of delight in Jesus Christ and the world is lost on him. The world is lost on him. We need that. A third reason why we need this letter, the letter is commending to us a sovereign saviour's holy humility, displayed in an unparalleled humiliation. As he came from heaven's throne, as he dwelt with us in low estate, and he went down, down, the steps of humiliation and dereliction on the cross to burial and tomb. And he does that not only as the means of our redemption, praise God, but he does that as an example for our walking. If we want to go the way of glory, we have to go the way of the cross. And the Lord Jesus is showing us that way. So in this passage, in this great letter, we see Paul urging us on in the fight for joy and calling us to grow in humility so that we may be joyful in our humility, that we are humble in our joy and we're longing to know Christ. The fourth reason why this book is so apt for us. And that's because Philippians tells us that believers, under the crushing load of life in the darkest moments of your experience, even in the valley of the shadow of death, can comprehend an incomprehensible peace. And that's not a typo, I'm not misspeaking, that's what Paul says. He wants us to comprehend an incomprehensible peace. He wants us to be able to know a peace that is beyond knowing. He wants you to understand peace that is beyond understanding. He wants you to comprehend peace that is beyond comprehension. And I want that for myself, but I want that for you as well. So wherever it is you are this afternoon, I want you to be steadfast and immovable in that peace. So you can say in your trial, I have a joy that can never be taken away. I have a delight that cannot be quenched. And I have a peace 
you can't understand. I want you to have that. I want that joy, that humility, that delight. So Philippians is a fight for joy. It's about growing in humility and the two are linked. It's about knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's about the peace that only he can give. And no one else and nothing in this world can take it away in any circumstance. For those reasons and a hundred more, it's time for Philippians. But before we get to our passage this afternoon, I want to say three more things about this letter. The letter to the Philippians is a letter of love, joy and truth. Commentators say that, but I've found it to be this case. It's about love, joy and truth. And I want you to think about that just for a second, because we, we may hear that and think, yeah, that's kind of like a theological explanation. But the letter is full of love, full of joy, full of truth. It's full of love because you can see Paul's heart on the surface, his love for the congregation at Philippi. And it was the first congregation in Europe. So it's like our four Christian forebears. It's like our Christian forefathers. And Paul has left Asia and has gone to Europe. So this is the first congregation in Europe, in Philippi. Predominantly, if not exclusively, Gentile. But Paul loves this congregation, and you can tell it by the way he writes to them. He loves them. We need to go back and probably read Acts 16 to see how the gospel came to the church in Philippi. Remember who was part of the core group? Lydia, the seller of purple. The businesswoman, Lydia and her family, who the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe. So Paul loves this church, he loves this first congregation in Europe, and his love for them comes through. You know when you read Corinthians, actually 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul loves the Corinthians, but his grief and his sadness and his indignation of their sin also comes through. And then if you read Galatians, we read Galatians recently, and then Romans, I love them, they're so pastoral, they really are. But the ferocity of Paul's writing about the false teachers in Galatians, and then his concern to establish the Romans in the truth comes through. His love is there, yes, but in Philippians, his love is almost undiluted, as it were. It's a letter that's full of Paul's love for this church, a letter full of joy. Johannes Bengel, one of the German critical scholars on this book, he got at least this right about Philippians. He said, you can sum up the letter of Philippians in just two Latin words. Gaudio gaudet. I rejoice, you rejoice. I rejoice, you rejoice. I rejoice, so you rejoice too. He got that right. You could sum the whole letter up in that way. Because Paul is tired. He's elderly. He's in prison. He's beaten. He's locked up. And 20 times, 20 times, in the course of these three pages, he uses words so often like joy, rejoice, peace, content, 
thanksgiving 20 times in three pages in prison. So the letter is clearly full of love, it's clearly full of joy. Do you ever think you cannot rejoice where you are today? May I respectfully, on the authority of the Word of God, beg, beg to differ? Because if Paul could rejoice where, you, where he was, you can rejoice where you are today. And thirdly, this is a letter of truth, so it's love and joy, truth. It's truth about God, it's full of theological truth. You don't have to be scared of that, it's truth about God. It's truth about the lover of your soul. It's truth about the saviour of sinners. It's truth about the one who made you and gave his son for you. It's full of truth. It's absolutely stunning, one of the great paradoxes in this letter, that in one of the simplest letters of Paul, he gives the most profound exposition of humility and exaltation, the meaning and accomplishment and purposes of the death of Christ that he ever gave. This is his final words on the substance of the meaning of the death of Christ. It's all in this simple little letter, three pages long. I hope that I've given you enough reasons why we should be reading it and why we should be listening to it. The greatest theologians in the history of the church for 2,000 years have meditated on the letter to the Philippians. And if you think about how many people have preached it, how many theologians have examined it, and we haven't yet seen the bottom of it. And in three pages, Paul lays it out. So it's a book full of truth. But I want you to see three things in the passage we briefly read. Um, this was deliberately an introduction to the letter, so don't worry. Um, but it's three things in the letter, passage we just read. Sometimes I do that, the, you know, focus on the greeting at the beginning. So we got the sender and senders. Number one, the sender and senders. We have the recipients, and then we end with that greeting. So there's three parts to it, really. It says who the sender slash senders is, and then it tells us who are the recipients, and then it gives us this greeting, the grace. So the senders are Paul and Timothy, although Paul wrote the letter. And I want you to see what they call themselves, permanent servants, bond slaves. The doulos of the Messiah, who is Jesus. And boy, does that little description, servants of the Messiah, the doulos of the Messiah, who is Jesus, doesn't that tell us so much? Because the highest title a believer can hold is servant of Jesus. The doulos of Jesus Christ. We've been servants of sin. Servants of sin. We've been servants of self. We've been slaves to our own will. Slaves to ourselves. And to be liberated to serve the Saviour, there is no greater honour than to be named a servant of Jesus, a doulos of the Messiah. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And here is the Apostle Paul saying, that is what I am. And it puts him in his proper place, does it not? Because the emphasis is, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That is who I want you to be thinking about. Jesus Christ. It's not important who I am. It's important that you understand who he is. He must increase, I must decrease. John. I am not important, but he is. 
and the acknowledgement that he, the Apostle Paul, is a servant of Jesus Christ is a reminder that though he may look for, from every external eye that he is a prisoner of Caesar. Though he may look a victim of Caesar, though he may look like a servant of Caesar, he is not. He is a servant of the Messiah. And if he's in prison, that's because the Messiah wants him there. And if the Messiah does not want him there, even Caesar cannot hold him there. He will be where Messiah wants him to be, and Caesar has nothing to say. So the fact he's in Caesar's custody is the reflection of the fact that the Lord God of the universe, the real one who is Lord, has decided that's where the Apostle Paul is supposed to be. Now that kind of thinking is dangerous, it can change your life. You start thinking about your life that way, things will change. Lord, I've never been in a more miserable place in my experience, but you are Lord. And it's not that we're fatalistic, but that must be his plan, so we trust him. This must be your plan to exalt yourself before my eyes and in my heart and in my life. You will be glorified in this. So you've got a sense of that, that I don't know how it's good, but I know it's going to be good. That he will protect me. That he will magnify his grace in this. Because I'm not a victim of this world. I'm a servant of the Messiah. What a wonderful way to walk out of here this afternoon. I'm not a victim of the world. I'm a servant of King Jesus. Secondly, the recipients to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul is writing to the whole church. He's not only writing to the super spiritual ones, the ones that do Bible studies twice a day, seven days a week. No, he's writing, not writing to the uniquely extraordinary holy people within the congregation. He's not writing to the self-important who think that they have a divine right to call the shots. He's writing to the whole congregation. And what is the point? What is my point in saying that? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has called you to himself to be set apart to him, to be holy to him, to be his uniquely treasured people, his saints, his holy ones. That is what he chose you for. That is what he saved you for, for himself, for relationship with him. We are in Christ. We have union with him and therefore with one another. We have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with one another. We have communion with him. To glorify and enjoy him forever. All of us. That is what you are for. And if you're enjoying something else more than Jesus, you have not understood what he made you for. He made you for delight in him. He did not make you so that anything else could delight you like him. And then thirdly, there's greeting. So the senders, Paul that's writing on behalf of Timothy and himself, bond servants of the Messiah, doulos of Jesus, to all the saints, and verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. 
God's unmerited, undeserved favour, even despite your sin. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and peace, total well-being, total shalom, which flows from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. So what a letter. We've looked at what this letter is chock full of. It's chock full of glory. It tells us about Jesus. It tell, it's got the Christ hymn. It tells us about his humiliation, his exaltation. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And it's our privilege to bow the knee to him today. And Paul could write this in prison, in the, in the, in the harshest of circumstances, the hardest of circumstances. But even in that, the great apostle understood that he is no victim of Caesar, but he's the doulos of the Messiah. And grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a letter, what a way to start. I invite you to pray through Philippians, read it yourself, and look forward to continuing the letter as we meet in the afternoon. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do really want to fight with the Apostle Paul for joy. We want to grow in humility. We want to know Christ and the peace that passes all understanding. Give us this and hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.